0: a social science podcast produced at the University of Minnesota, featuring conversations with prominent scholars, researchers, and other movers and shakers in the social world. This week we talk with Shahzad Nadim, author of Dead Ringers, how outsourcing is changing the way Indians understand themselves. We discuss what it's like to work at a call center in India, what Indians think about outsourcing, and the social and cultural challenges faced by both labor and management alike in outsourcing firms. Well, uh, why don't we get started by just telling us a little bit about your book. It's called Dead Ringers. What does that mean?
1: Well, the term dead ringer refers to one who resembles another. Um, and the original meaning of the term um, referred to a, a fast horse that was entered into a competition in place of a slower injured one. Um, and so what I was studying was the outsourcing of call center and IT work to India. And so I was studying what happens when you have Indians being dead ringers for americans right um indians pretending like they're americans putting on masks donning identities um taking on accents and so on so that's the kind of idea of of the the book where you had this similarity and difference they act like americans they perform the roles that american and, and western workers used to perform but um but they're indian and they're performing it from india right so the workplace culture is, is, is half Indian, half American. The wages are Indian, half are, are half Indian, half half global, right? So you kind of, they're kind of in this mixed hybrid world. So the book is really about the, the possibilities that outsourcing and, and globalization creates in India and some of the consequences in the US, you know, and I look at what it's like to be a dead ringer for an American, right? So this will entail, you know, like we all know, taking on a Western name. And, and in addition to that, um, there's a practice called accent neutralization, right? Which um, the purpose there is to uh, get rid of, to eliminate one's this is their words, mother tongue influence, right? So a lot of global corporations that are shifting call centers over to India will make sure that um, we'll try their, their level best to ensure that that uh, callers, um, customers in the West don't really know who they're talking to, at least their location. So they have these practices of obfuscation that make it more and more difficult to geographically locate um one person so i'll give you um and and so it's a very kind of strict practice on the part of corporations to do this um for them it's kind of a white lie right they see the shifting of jobs overseas as a pretty decent thing you know saves money creates jobs that sort of thing um for uh for American workers, it's kind of soot black, right? This is this is deception. And for Indian workers, it's kind of tainted gray, right? This kind of complicates their lives. It gives them possibilities, it but it, it, it gives them limited possibilities. Initially, you know, I, I went into the research um, the same way a lot of sociologists go into research, thinking about, you know, corporate deception and corporate globalization and corporations doing these sorts of things. But what I was surprised to see was how there was a certain... Um, Group of call center workers and others who were um, fascinated by this practice of mimicry, right? This fact, this this practice of emulating Americans. So I was sitting in this one call center, and it was you know they're on the night shift, so uh, we're all drinking little cups of of uh, of tea, and this one call center worker who says his name is Sean, right? He's 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 sort of dressed down in a sweatshirt and jeans and. I said, "Is that your work name or or your um, or your real name?" He said, "It's my work name, but I go by it now." I said, "So everybody calls you Sean inside and outside the workplace?" He said, "Yes, of course. They all call me Sean." He had a very sort of twisted, weird kind of mixed accent. It sounded a little bit like Sean Connery, um, and and you know, I look over to his brother, who kind of is in the, the adjacent workstation. He kind of nods in assent, like, "Yep, my my brother makes us call him Sean at home too, right?" So there's this this kind of enthusiasm on the part of workers, as well as this kind of rejection, and workers kind of inhabit both, right, they, 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 they're they excited about this possibility to interact with Americans, to become Americans temporarily for eight or nine hours at night, but then at the same time the conditions of work ensure that they have to keep this mask on very, very tight. They can't let it slip, if they let it slip, then you know they lose out on pay, um, they lose out on their performance incentives um so so it's it's kind of this uh this game that they play in that regard uh.
0: this is something that you know every american at least you know in and most of our most of the people that listen to our podcasts are American. We're, you know, the Internet's everywhere. We're international, right? But for the most part, uh, most of the people that listen to this podcast are Americans are and are you know, related to Americans and have have the, you know, the angry uncle or whatever, who will go on and on about outsourcing and who will insist on asking every person they talk to on the phone where they're located. You know, and, uh, get, and people get really angry about it. And this is something that everyone encounters. Um, but. I, you know, I was a little surprised in, in, in looking through the book at how, at, at I don't think people realize this, the, the taking on sort of Americanized names, the accent training that they go through. Um, like this is, the, the depth of that kind of surprised me and I think it would surprise a lot of people. So like when you say this guy goes by Sean, um, he's internalized that name and uses it outside of work, but like they gave him that name at work, right? The idea was you are Sean on the phone.
1: that name at work, right? And so this is the part of, Um, I guess the illusion of freedom or whatever in the workplace where they don't impose the name you can choose a name, be what you want to. Right. And so so within that choice, there's a little bit of thrill and fascination that workers are able to exercise, right? It's a certain degree of autonomy rather than sort of an imposed name.
0: So as long as it's an American name, do they have like a list, a a, a white list of good names and bad names that are American enough?
1: (laughs) It's funny because um, now the practice is fading slightly um, some companies are now allowing Indians to keep their real names. And this is part partly due to the fact that they've kind of won the battle, right? But now everybody knows that calls mm-hmm. and IT work has gone to India. They don't need to disguise it as much anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, you also had some managers that were kind of a little bit uncomfortable with with the practice, right? They felt it was weird. And I was talking to this one executive, and he was saying, "Yeah, I wasn't happy about the the identity shifting and the name shifting." And so I told my workers that we're going to go Indian, and he said the workers were upset, or some of the workers were upset. And so they agreed on a comp- compromise, which was you would keep um, you would keep your your surname your Indian surname, but you will be able to choose an American or a Western uh, first name. And so you had, you know, Brittany Gupta uh, and names like that, which, you know, confound matters all the more, right? But you can say that sort of the underlying purpose of all this is to not necessarily to convince everyone that the worker you're speaking to is in your state or in your city, but to, to convince the, the, or to confuse the caller or the customer, to make them feel like, well, I don't. This is some weird placeless place. This accent, I can't locate this accent. So whatever, let's mm-hmm. get on with. It. Um, so yeah. they
0: actually send their their like uh, accent training though that that they have to go
1: through. Yeah, and you have accent training institutes as well. Um, and so you'll you'll find ways to you know to get rid of certain Indianisms, certain ways of pronouncing things, rolling your Rs. Um, Dental thuds and things like that—you'll you'll get rid of all those. Um, and so that is kind of like a—it's kind of done through a rote classroom setting where um, the teacher will make uh, the worker go through a, a, a sort of a tongue twister, right? Peter Piper picked et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. There are too many turtles were sitting so you know like a lot of a lot of uh, I guess you could say cases where you roll the Rs and where you use a dental th that's where they try to weed those out in terms of the 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 spoken accent but then they also try to um sensitize workers to culture right so they'll have them you know watch videos of of pet shows um in one um training institute i went to where uh, i asked the the trainer why and she said well we want to convey to the worker that to americans a cat or dog a pet is like a child we don't have right? That to them, it's like a baby, that they, they, they nurture and take, you know, take care of the baby in the same way, right? So they have, so there's this kind of cultural translation that these companies are also trying to do. Um, and then you have some workers who kind of go with this a little bit further, and they kind of become what they think of as fantasy Americans, right? They, they go to nightclubs where, you know, they'll pay for you know, drinks and the equivalent of dollars, right? They'll be paying five or six dollars for a drink. Or I remember talking to this one guy, uh, Bacash, he, um, I asked him, you know, what do you do when you get home in the small hours of the morning? Um, do you, you know, have a little bit of breakfast and then go to bed? You know, because it's, it's light outside. Does it confuse your system when you get off work? He said, me, me and my friends, we go back to one of our apartments and we have shots of vodka. Vodka? He said, Yes. Yeah. And part of this could be kind of this, this boasting to the, to the interviewer that, you know, we're, we're so awesome that we do these things. Um, but it, it does allow one to live a certain fantasy for a little while, which, which can be exciting for workers. But for others, it can be very, very taxing. Um, and so you start to notice there is the thrill and there is the joy. But the job tenure in a lot of outsourced companies is very, very, very short. Right, so workers, so so the turnover rates anywhere between 40 and 60 percent in a lot of these call centers per, per annum, and it's I think it's the the night shift combined with um, kind of the rigors of work because you're pretty much on the clock all the time, right? So in American call centers, you're sometimes allowed a little bit more time between calls. Say it's an inbound call center. In the Indian call centers, they come at a, high, at a higher rate, right? And this is following all that we know about globalization, right? That the work Pace gets t- gets more intense. Um, breaks are, are are fewer, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so you have workers that just get really, really tired. And to give you kind of a funny example of how how this would work is, so to to uh, to perform really well, you have to adhere to a set of words and a set of kind of comportment or or, or sort of a, a structure of comportment, right? So it's it's emotional labor in, in many ways. Um, and so what, you're, what you have to do is you have to sort of show a certain level of, of, of enthusiasm for the customer, right? So I was talking to these um, two workers who were working for the British Rail or, or for a company that was outsourcing British Rail customer service. And they said, you know, it was great fun for a time. We loved it, you know, it was so intensely satisfying to you know, help with a booking and to talk to people and, and so on. But then after a while, there are problems. They said, well, one problem is we have to use power words and buzzwords all the time. <laughs> Is going from London to Leeds, so you'll say, "Oh, you're going from London to Leeds, fantastic!" Oh, you're going, you're going from Liverpool to to you know London, great! Oh, you're going to a funeral, fantastic, right? And if you don't show this requisite level of enthusiasm, you know, it, it, it's you get marked down on quality. And so, as one worker put it, you, you you can't really do this for seven to eight hours at night straight, right? You start slipping. You know, in India, people speak three four languages often right and 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 for Indians you know and for everybody else this is a great asset but there's but there's you know but slipping over to different languages and different ways of speaking that becomes a problem when you get marked down Um, so you start having a lot of people kind of quit the call center because of those issues you also have very tight monitoring right so bathroom visits for example are monitored Um, I talked to one worker who um, she was fired. And um, one of her lapses was returning to the bathroom uh, a minute and a half late or something. And she says that she was from being in, eating the food in the canteen company provided camp- uh, canteen. She was throwing up in the bathroom and she and she said that's why she was late to the to back to the her station. Um, her manager said no, she was late because she was late. Right? She was taking her time. So the point is, in this case, at least, it doesn't really need to get that far, right? You know, why, why are bathroom breaks in this way? Why are the workers sort of lodge so intensely?:
0: I think this is something that would be surprising to a lot of Americans is you know to them it's just kind of this black box, right? I mean, they, they get a mm-hmm. call, they can tell the per- maybe they can tell the persons in India or somewhere else, but they don't really understand maybe the social circumstances of the person on the other end. Um, mm-hmm. So you're saying it's on the one hand, there are a lot of very appealing things about the job, right? So, like, they pay really well for the yeah, most they, part.
1: They, they pay very well. They, they will hire you right out of college. Um, uh, it, regardless of, you know, your degree, as long as you can speak English fairly well, um, then you're um, a candidate for, for a job at um, not just a call center, but, you know, places that will do, like, outsourced work, like basic financial processes. You can get a job there. And so um, they will... So, so they do provide opportunities, they provide higher wages. Um, the, the issues are the conditions of work, and secondly, um, that the work after a while stops being so satisfying. Mm-hmm. It's really boring, it's very rote, right? And this is part of how uh, globalization works. It doesn't ship over whole jobs, it ships over tasks and fragments of work and things like that. Um, and so, um, so it's this kind of fractured um, environment where, especially IT workers, will be working on like parts of projects and not really know what the whole project means. Um, so there's the sense that that you know this is to restore the original meaning of the word job to be sort of a ped- petty, piddling, you know, piece of work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's that frustration that the upward mobility is not really there. Um, the new challenges aren't really there. There's only so many, you know shift lead positions, and there's only so much room for um, to, to move up to management, and so the workers end up getting very, very kind of anxious about that. They're anxious about their salaries. Um, they're always looking over their shoulder at other workers and other companies to see who might pay them more. So, the sense of anxiety pervades the workplaces. Um, that is very, very palpable. This, um, you know, and, and that obviously feeds into the, the turnover rates, um, but it also has to do a little bit with with, with poor management. Um, a lot of the managers come from other lines of work, um, and they're not used to dealing with um, young workers, female workers, and they don't really have the, the quote-unquote soft skills to handle them, right? So there's a lot of sort of you-must-take-responsibility type uh, management going on and kind of hectoring going on. and you know to, to command someone to take responsibility is to you know to, to it's 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 impossible right <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it, it kind of uh, subverts the, the the command in and of itself so um, so you have a lot of the, the kind of a lot of perplexing managerial errors um, in the workplaces um, that again make things a little bit harder than they, than they need to be
0: what percent of the, like what percent of the economy is this? Is this a huge chunk of the economy, or very small actually? Or
1: this is the people that are employed in um, the call centers. It's a very small percent of the economy. Um, you're dealing with, um, you know, I mean, not just call centers, but in, in, in sort of these these back office operations. Mm-hmm. You know, you're dealing with a fraction of the middle class. Um, so in sheer numbers, you might get up to say, say two million workers, um, two point five million workers um but as a percentage of the population it's like 0.01 percent or something right yeah. Cause, you know, in, in india it's always that weird paradox mm-hmm. uh, but the the reception of the industry it, it is quite fascinating there's a lot of stigma um that was attached to workers for working in the night shift for these americans right people didn't understand and particularly for women there, were, there was a lot of um kind of uh hints that that what women were up to in the call centers at night, they were up to no good. They're there all, all night with boys, and they're up, you know, they're doing all manner of, of terrible things. And um, so this the sense of call centers call girls. And so this one uh, secretary at a call center told me that she, people in our neighborhood used to look at her weird when she walked out. They kind of narrowed their eyes and looked at her askance. You know, that she's one of those those workers in the call center who knows what she does. Um, so women, there was this kind of this this um, symb- symbolic stigma that was sort of attached to them. And you know, maybe this, this is a sort of a kind of a patriarchal reaction to women making more than, than other people in the household and sort of the shifting household dynamics. Because again, these jobs are paying, paying fairly well for someone in a lower middle class household. Um, but uh, it, 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 it took a while for that stigma to wear off, This sense that anything goes in these call centers. Um, and eventually, it did. It it is wearing off, and I think you know part of it has to do with you know as as Lenin was fond of quoting, uh, um, money has no smell. Uh, it's one of these things where when people start you know bringing home all of this money, eventually people think, okay, whatever, it's fine. Um, so the stigma started to fade, um, but it's still there, and it's still very very difficult um, for some of the workers. You know, as one uh, mail worker put it to me, he said, "Don't ever." Put that you work at a call center on your offer letter for, 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 for a marriage. And I thought it was very, very kind of cute that you, that they have these offer letters, right? But, um, but, but you don't, you know, it's, it's not seen as good work. It's not seen as respectable work. Um, whereas maybe an, a job in IT um, has the promise of a green card and trips to the West or something else or upward mobility, those jobs can actually improve your marital prospects, whereas being in a call center can diminish them.
0: So you looked at a couple different uh, companies and, and individuals, sort of managers running those companies. I, I know you. there was like one uh, American manager who moved to India to start an outsourcing company that you talked to, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, so, so uh, a number of the companies um, I looked at were, you know, like one was um, uh, the financial services wing of an investment bank. Right? So they were shifting over all of their IT and IT infrastructure and services to India um, while the management would stay in the US. And so they weren't hiring anymore in the American office um, because it was just going to be a, a strictly managerial office. And the Indian office was basically tasked with, with, with executing all of the work. Um, and so you had a, a kind of strange management um, structure, whereas one um, manager put it, uh, we have too many chiefs and not as many Indians in the American office um, and, and so, uh, so you have a lot of experimenting. But he said, that, "Look, you know, we have our problems, but it's got to work. We're saving millions of dollars, right, by not hiring Americans and by hiring Indians.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: so we're going to make it work. There'll be growing pains, but right now, you know, like the American management doesn't really understand why it's better to have them work on, you know, during their day rather than than during their night shift, because." They, they want somebody to be working with them simultaneously, but they don't realize that the workers can work during the night shift, I mean, sorry, during their day shift more productively. And so there's all sorts of those kind of issues of friction um, there that that don't put a wrench in the works and make things more difficult than they need be. Um, but companies are sort of fighting through it, and they will continue to outsource the work. And, you know, it's as one... Um, one guy put it at a conference at one of these outsourcing conferences that I went to. He said, um, "Look at the look at the the work. If the work can be automated, automate the work. If the work um, cannot be automated, um, but it's but it's, it's still pretty rote and, and routinized, then look to outsource the work." Um, so that's what a lot of the work you're you're getting um, going to India is is kind of this this root, uh This sorry, this rote. Uh, standardized work. And so, consequently, worker identity in a lot of these IT places is kind of this mixture of kind of professional probity and standardized parts, right, where on the one hand, they're they're kind of being spontaneous professionals doing what they want to do, but on the other, they have, they have to do this fragmented work, this fractured work, and they're being told by management to be responsible, take ownership or whatever, so they're kind of stilted, too. So a lot of the conversations I had with IT workers in particular was, I mean, they're very, very awkward and they're very, very polite, but a lot of the conversation, you know, occurred in sort of, um, you know, through an economy of colorless tones, you could say, you know, things were very, very kind of spare and direct. And, um, and so whereas in the call centers, you saw a lot more sort of exuberance. um, And part of that I think comes from the kind of the mimicry, which the IT workers didn't do as much. On, but I think I'm babbling a little bit on, on this point. But the, the issue of management is, is very interesting. Um, the, and this, this, this story will give you some insight into sort of the contemporary moment in, in India, um, particularly as, as it relates to globalization. So in India, there's a lot of enthusiasm, quite a bit of enthusiasm for globalization. Um, some people even describe what's happening there as India's second independence, right? This is the economic liberalization regime of the 90s. And continuing for, uh, forward, and I was talking to this one, this one um, C COO of a company, um, and the conversation was going nowhere, and so I didn't really know how to, how to you know enliven it. So I just thought, okay, well, why don't I just sort of kiss up to him for a second, see if I can get him going and get him to open up. But I said, well, this company that you built, you know, how did you build it? And, you know, this is really great, and et cetera, et cetera. And so he started opening up, started talking about it, and I said how long, um, how sustainable do you think this industry is in India? And he said, right now in India, we have problems. Our infrastructure is a mess. We have poor roads. We don't have reliable electricity. We need a lot more um, energy and efforts devoted to shoring up that infrastructure. Otherwise, companies will stop coming. And then he said, kind of said, looking to his left and to his, his right in hushed tones, he said, you know what we need in this country? We need a dictatorship for 10 to 12 years, then back to democracy. Right, you would have an IT leviathan that would fix up all the roads. Basically, it was, you know, China is what he's looking at. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I was sharing this story with a labor friend in India, and he and he said, "Oh, don't think you have this great scoop." He's like, "They they talk like, like this in the media all the time." The upper middle class, mm-hmm. um, this frustration um, that in democratic kind of uh, the slowness of de- of of democracy and. Uh, the, del- the The deliberative quality of democracy and that sort of gets in the way of India moving up in the world and so there 's this impatience among the upper middle class um, and that 's why they push for more and more globalization um, and that again kind of uh, textures a lot of these workplaces where um, the managers think that the Indians are slow they wait too much they 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 don 't know how they 're dilatory and deferent they, they they have the attitude of a servant. Um, they say they act like knockers, meaning a servant. Um, they're too obedient. They wait for orders. Um, they're not like Westerners. They don't take initiative. And so in the workplace, you often have that sort of dynamic too, where these workers kind of have these, quote unquote, submissive identities that they take on because management's you know basically lecturing them. But then... Uh, they're having to sort of show these signs of spontaneity on occasion to to comply with managerial pressures. So it's it's a very bizarre kind of mixture um, that, that develops. So the, the workers are like Western professionals, but they're not, right? So the, there's sort of the similarity and difference. And so when I was thinking about the term Dead Ringers as the book's title, that's kind of what I was getting at, is the similarity and difference. They're like Americans, but they're not. Um, and so the closer you look, the more you see how how um, things develop, uh, Diverge from the mold.
0: You've been referring to the fact that you were in India uh, uh-huh. for, for for the research. What was the research like? What did you do exactly? And how did you get into how did you get into this?
1: Um, well, the research was wasn't easy. Um, I mean, I don't mean to to elicit pity or sympathy in saying that, but um, the hardest part was getting into workplaces. Um, and you know, it, it makes sense that companies really have no incentive to you know, let in like a, a slight notebook clutching researcher with a pad and paper, you know, there's no, or sorry, a, a pad and pen, there's no real incentive for them to do so. Um, so I really had to kind of send lots of emails around, make a lot of cold calls, um, friends of friends, um, and eventually was able to get into um, a number of companies. And this is compounded, of course, with the, the fact that you need to have, you know, a semblance of a research design, right? So I I couldn't just get into any companies, I had to get into um, an array of companies that allowed me to sort of pursue my objective of looking at both sort of the low-end call center work and then also some of the quote-unquote higher-end value-added what they call knowledge process outsourcing now. Um, so it's Sort of like legal out, legal outsourcing where you have lawyers doing the work. You have basically Indian lawyers doing the work of American paralegals um, and that sort of thing. So, so it was kind of a struggle to find um, companies that would allow me to spend time, um, just kind of, you know, being a fly on the wall interviewing workers, um, over time. And, you know, th- that wouldn't have any, any sort of, um, problems with, with my just being there. And so eventually I did. And so it took a while, but, um, people were very, very open after a while.
0: Um, do you think that affected the kinds of companies that you got to see, or do you, do you think you got a, a good, you know, a full, a pre- a full yeah.
1: appreciation
0: of the gamut of call centers and, and, uh, what was the other one you just said? The, the, the new one, the knowledge processing.
1: Sourcing. Yeah. I mean, Kapow. Uh, Kapow. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Capal places, I mean, they were much more brash, right? They, they had this sense that what we're doing is cutting edge. So they, mm-hmm. they wanted to talk. Whereas, you know, at, say an IBM call center or a GE call center is much more guarded. Um, and so I had to often, I had a lot more trouble getting into sort of the, the IBMs and the GE type places. Um, and, but, but, you know, persistence, after a while, it, it, would, it would pay off. Like you would just hang out in, in the company canteen, or you would um, hang out in these sort of outsourcing complexes, or, I mean the, these kind of rather large compounds, which would have, you know, uh, outsourcing companies, but they would also have... Um, apartment towers that went by kind of crazy names like Celestial Heights and Whispering Heights and Pacific Heights and you, know, you could go dine at Ruby Tuesdays or McDonald's um, and you can live in this kind of quasi-denationalized setting where the companies were you know, not paying taxes and you know, it, it's, it's, it's kind of what they've created in, in India are these, the IT equivalent of special economic zones in many cases um, and everything that goes along with that um, the, the, the changed labor laws so workers are able to to work long and strange hours um, they 've even declared it and i t essential services and i t essential services essentially means anything done with a computer or internet um, and they 've declared that um, an essential service meaning it 's on par with the fire brigade right or the police and which makes it very very difficult for workers to strike um, so you have all these kind of shifting laws, and a lot of people don't really know what to make of the industry. It took me so long. I, I asked company after company, labor lawyer after labor lawyer when I was there, are workers covered under the existing labor laws? And nobody could tell me yes or no. Um, everybody was like, we're not really sure what's happening. We don't really have model standard standard operating procedures. We don't really have the, the guidance of the law right now. Um, then eventually, there were two cases in the Bombay Industrial Court, which established that workers were in fact um, workers and not managers, uh, particularly in call centers, because in the call centers the, the the workers are often called call center executives, um, partly to give the workers a sense of professional identity, but then also partly to sort of obfuscate their role. Um, but because they're workmen, um, that means they're covered by the labor laws. So you have a um, like in other countries that are are. Are benefiting from um, globalization in terms of new jobs, you have this kind of paradoxical situation where you have to create a, a sort of a quasi national area um, to, to get the work, and you kind of have to bend over backwards to, to, to get the companies to come. Um, which, you know, when you think of all the concessions these industries, all the, all the concessions that comp- that the country is making. Um, to get these companies, you wonder, you know, whether it's really worth it in terms of the jobs they create.
0: Any things we haven't touched on that you would like to share with our audience?
1: Um, I mean, another way of, of thinking about, you know, what, what goes on in these places is I remember, um, there was a show, we were talking about how outsourcing is received in, in, in the U S and, in, in Europe and everything. And there was an NBC sitcom called outsourced, uh,
0: Right I heard about that. I never saw it.
1: yeah maybe I ever saw it. I, I did watch it obviously, and you know and it it, it, it wasn't a very funny show um people I, I, you know, people are afraid that it would be offensive or whatever it wasn't offensive. it was just unfunny. Um, you had jokes like you know there's an, basically the, the premise of the show is you have this American worker who opens an Indian call center or he or sorry the American, uh, American manager who goes to India um, to open. A American call center, and so he's introducing himself to this room of Indians, and they're they you know he said my name is John or whatever, and the Indians were um, telling them his name and so on, and this one guy says my name is Manmeet, and the, the American manager says to me, said says to him, you mean to tell me that your name is Manmeet, All right? So is that those sorts of jokes, uh, but the. the the thing about that show is it made me kind of squirm and it made me wince a lot. And that's exactly what being in, in the industry makes one do sometimes too. So despite the fact that the show wasn't necessarily super accurate, there was a, it's, it's mood and it's, it's mood was true in that sense that you were kind of like, huh, this is really weird and uncomfortable sometimes. Um, so, you know, the show did to capture both that exuberance and that kind of menace, um, that, that you, know, you experience in that industry daily where um, that kind of joy and hope and that disappointment um, that would come at the end of the day or, or in the early hours in the morning. Oh, and, and, and that one thing I'll share lastly is I remember um, looking through when I was writing the book after I'd come back I um, was looking through a newspaper and there was a picture of a call center and these workers were working under a banner that said life means more and that, to me, uh, was, was really poignant because um, I would see management do that sort of thing all the time, you know, put, put these slogans up. In this case, you know, what did that slogan mean in that context? Context? Does it mean that life, life means more than working in this call center? Um, did it mean that, you know, one should work harder? What, what, what did it exactly mean? And it captured that kind of paradox in India where everybody was working really hard, but they weren't really sure what they were working for. Right? They didn't really have a sense of a career path. They just had the sense of doing stuff that had a, a global sheen, um, but that sheen started to wear off after a while and they were kind of left very confused and some would drop out of the industry, but then others would, but they would often go back because of the high wages. Um, so it's a very kind of strange, paradoxical situation right now, um, but it's not you know, a very... Um, It's not sort of a situation where you can come down for and against very cleanly um, in terms of whether one is for or against outsourcing. It kind of throws up all sorts of weird contradictions that are pretty interesting to observe.
0: And interesting to read about, I might add.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: (laughs) So this has been great. Thanks so much for talking to us. And Uh, the book is is called Dead Ringers, How Outsourcing is Changing the Way Indians Understand Themselves. So go check it out, everyone.
1: something 'cause so he wants to mess with you. <laughs> I know. She this cat is evil. Um